This morning's scripture reading is taken from Luke chapter 24, starting to read at verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these past days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was to be the one that was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, how foolish you are, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he would go further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized them when he broke the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. It is a great pleasure to, to be here this morning. Uh, bringing uh, a sermon on the beautiful passage that we just read together. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is David Nacho. I have been serving as the director of uh, street ministries for the last uh, couple months uh, here at first. A lot can happen in about three hours. For instance, we could have a life-changing conversation. 
a life-changing conversation about uh, what true hope is for us, for our community, for the world. We might have a meal that forever shapes the purpose of our lives, or even go for a walk for about 11 kilometers. 11 kilometers, roughly the distance that separates Jerusalem from Emmaus. Let's pray together before we get into the text. Thank you, Father, for inspiring Luke, the evangelist, to write this story down. Thank you for the way Christians before us have treasured it and passed it down through the centuries. Help us read it with new eyes and committed hopeful hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. He is risen. We spoke these words as a community last week in celebration of Easter. Of course, we all know who we're talking about. It's him, of course. However, we should be aware that out on the streets and neighborhoods of our fair city, more and more people would not know who we're talking about when we say he is risen. Who is he? What do you mean he's risen? I came to this text with that observation in mind. But, but as I reflected on it, a new question came to my heart. Do we as Christians know who we're talking about when we say he is risen? The beautiful story of the road to Emmaus has rightfully captured the imagination of millions of Christians, millions of Jesus' followers throughout the centuries. I believe that this is a particularly relevant and revelatory text for us as a church in this time of transition. Transition into a time when we will, know we will not have a permanent home. Who will we find out out there on the streets and neighborhoods of Vancouver once we leave this place of worship. I invite you to walk through this passage, passage, shall we? And I promise it won't take us three hours. Let's begin by seeing this story through the, eye, through the eyes and emotions of the disciples on the road. We have to begin with sorrow. Their master, he who had called them friends, was dead. But there is also suspense. Who is this person approaching us, coming close to us? And how come he is unaware of the current events? we read that God prevented the two disciples from recognizing Jesus. It seems like God likes 
suspense in our lives. It seems like it's part of discipleship. But then there is also puzzlement and hopelessness. As the disciples explain the situation to the man that approached them, they share what they had hoped for and they confess they don't know what to do with the testimony of the women. We don't know what to believe, they might be saying. Maybe Jesus was not who they thought he was. Puzzlement and hopelessness. And then, curious excitement, probably. They heard from the fellow traveler an explanation that must have, must have made some sense. We read that on verse 27. And then, in the second half of the story, Jesus' unexpected action of breaking the bread generates another set of emotions. Astonished, re astonished recognition. Hearts become alive. And then a flurry of excitement and activity, so much so that they ran back to Jerusalem. That's another 11 kilometers, folks. That's as much as a half a marathon in a day, for those of you who care about um, those sorts of activities. No wonder this story inspires so many works of art. You see, journeys and life's moments are punctuated by these kinds of emotions. But there is even more to this story. And in order to dig deeper, we need to focus our eyes on Jesus. <clears throat> First, Jesus comes closer. He meets travelers on the road. We should remember that before that we should remember that before his crucifixion, Jesus used to do precisely that. He didn't have a place to host people. He had to meet them on the road, out on the streets. The risen Jesus also meets people on the road. What does that tell us about mission? What does that tell us about this particular moment in our church's history? Second, Jesus begins by asking a question. What are you two talking about? What's been going on in the city? Now, if you are honestly asking that question when you're engaging with others, you might not only get a report of the news, of the current news. You might also get to hear from people out there about their fears and their hopes, broken as they may be. Third, Jesus teaches from the Bible. Telling stories matters. 
Stories still inspire. Stories shape us. There is a direction for history, and there is a direction, a destination for our stories. That direction, Jesus tells them, must go through the cross and the resurrection of God's Messiah. And finally, Jesus breaks bread with them. And here's where the story invites us to spend a little bit more time. And let me just say that I love this story because the characters in it show us that hearing and living out the gospel is not it's not just an intellectual experience. It's more than that. Of course it involves that. But it also involves the body. They're walking as they do this. The emotions. It involves hospitality. And it involves breaking bread. In our Christian lives, as we walk throughout, <clears throat> throughout the year, um, how shall we walk? What kind of um, people might we find there? Meals are extremely important to understand Jesus. Let me say that again. Meals are extremely important to understand Jesus. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus joins a feast uh, with a crowd of tax collectors. Um, they, for instance, one was initiated by Levi, um, and Jesus just joins in a whole crowd of ta tax collectors. He also eats with Martha and Mary in Luke uh, 10, 38, 42. And he often dines with Pharisees. He even invites himself into Zacchaeus' house in Luke 19. Meals are the context for Jesus' ministry, and they are also a powerful image of his teachings. In his parables, food is something that cannot be denied to a traveling guest as we see in chapter 11. And you might remember that the return of the, of the younger son, the, the so-called prodigal son, is celebrated with an extravagant banquet, welcoming him back to the family in Luke 15. So in the Gospel of Luke, first Jesus is the supreme guest. The supreme guest who is in need of hospitality. Second, as we listen to his teachings, we see that he subverts, turns upside down the hospitality expectations of the culture. We see that in Luke 14, 12, when he says, the next time you put on a dinner, 
Don't just invite your friends and family and rich neighbors, the kind of people who will return the favor. Invite some people who never get invited out, those who won't be able to return the favor. Third, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is also the supreme host. Because time and time again, he extends God's invitation and God's salvific actions, forgiveness, love, belonging. And he does this with women, with lepers, centurions, and tax collectors. And this is the wonderful good news that today's passage is inviting us to see. The story of the road to Emmaus, to Emmaus clearly illustrates Jesus' reciprocal hospitality. As one Latino theologian in the United States, Eric Barreto, explains, it is the two disciples who invite Jesus, someone they found on the road. They invite him to join them for a meal. They are the hosts, right? And yet, Jesus, who starts as a guest, takes over the duties of the hosts by breaking the bread. So by breaking the bread, Jesus blurs the very lines between host and guest. Why is that important for us today? You see, and following uh, Barreto here, too often in Christian communities, Hospitality is limited to how we welcome others. In other words, far too often in too many churches, hospitality is something we just offer others and not something that we are also willing to receive. Maybe we don't like thinking of ourselves as someone or as a community in need of hospitality. In many churches, hospitality tends to be a program more than an identity, a way of life. But Jesus' hospitality shakes us up making hosts of guests and guests of hosts. And when that happens, salvation feels like when we are gathered with family, friends, travelers, and relationships flourish. Salvation feels like a meal. Mission that takes hospitality seriously is hard to do as an individual. Even as a nuclear family. 
But if we understand the church, if we understand our church as a fabric of families, then we can see that we are perfectly positioned for this mission in God's wisdom. So, let me finish by saying, brothers and sisters, let us ask Jesus how he would like to shape our collective presence on the streets of this, our beloved city of Vancouver. If we keep our eyes on he who is risen and who breaks bread for us, we will encounter a deeper meaning to our hope in our personal and family lives and in our mission to the city where the Father has placed us. He is risen. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.